Welcome to Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure in Music. Here are your hosts, Bill Fraser and Tony Sartu. Welcome to Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure in Music. I'm Bill. And I'm Tony. And we're going to explore our love for music by sharing some facts and our thoughts on some of the best albums of all time. And today's album is Hot Fuss by The Killers. Hot Fuss was released on June 7th, 2004 in the UK and the following week on June 14th in the US. It's the second album that we're doing that wasn't ranked on any of the Rolling Stone Top 500 lists. Uh, the basic sales information, it has global sales of over 7 million units. 3 million of those are from the US, while 2.2 million are from the UK. So that's really kind of an interesting tidbit there about how popular they are in the UK, uh, comparatively speaking. Absolutely. Uh, and then Hot Fuss, to speak to that uh, popularity in the UK, Hot Fuss spent nearly three and a half years on the British album chart, including two weeks at number one. It's just an amazing run on that chart. So, and what we can talk about the British charts a little bit more when we talk about the the tracks as well. So, all right. So, tell us what was going on in two thousand and four. So, two thousand four, man, Tone, we were at like early thirties. This album came out basically the week that Shannon was born. So, <laughs> you know, I I've just become a father of three. George W. Bush is the president. Facebook has just launched. Nintendo DS was brand new. It was just launched. Martha Stewart was going to jail. IBM sold off its PC business. And Pat Tillman tragically was killed in Afghanistan, uh, the, the NFL player. So it, it was an interesting year, a lot going on. In the movies, it was all about sequels in 2004. The two biggest yeah. movies of the year, Shrek 2 and Spider-Man 2, was all about the sequels. We also have you know, The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson and Harry Potter and the, and the Prisoner of Azkaban and The Incredibles kind of round up the top five. So it was, it was an interesting year in the movies. On TV, the debuts of Lost, House, Entourage, Veronica Mars, Desperate Housewives and Battlestar Galactica. You know, for the uh, pandemic, the first show that I binged all the way back in March of two, uh, 2020 was Veronica Mars. I love that show. I did the same during the pandemic. So I absolutely I'd love never, that show. I'd never watched a single episode I, yeah. of it and watched the whole whole thing. Yeah, me, me as well. And I know, you, I know you were a big Battlestar fan as well. So Yeah, well, Battlestar was my Hurricane Sandy discovery <laughs> in the blackout, 11 days, no power. And uh, we fired up the DVDs of the miniseries that Rick had lent me and Call, and and we we're watching them. We we're kept recharging our laptop so that we could watch the next disc on uh, on Battlestar. I, I've never watched it. I'm gonna have to gonna have to stream stream it somewhere. Oh, it's so fracking good! All right, and the number one show in the country that year was CSI, and it's just amazing staying power. The other thing about TV is you saw two big finales in 2004. Friends aired its final episode on May 6th, and Frasier aired its final episode on May 13th. And on Jeopardy, the longtime winning contestant, who is now Jeopardy host, Ken Jennings, ended his really successful run on Jeopardy. In sports, the Patriots won their Super Bowl, and the music tie-in there is that was the Janet Jackson halftime show. Unbelievable. You know, what a canceling that happened to her for something she really had nothing to do with. Ridiculous how she was canceled over something that is like a, a non-event now. And it's because, you know, she was an African-American woman and how she was she was treated. It was re absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. In baseball, the Red Sox won their first World Series since 1918. And Lance Armstrong was in the middle of his run of winning Tour de France's, which were subsequently vacated. But uh, he was he won his sixth consecutive Tour de France that year. Well, I see that uh, Barry Bonds hit his seven 700th home run. Very performance enhancing drug year, though. You got you got Lance Armstrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Barry Bonds both like breaking uh, records. Right. So. I was just thinking about Pujols hitting 700 just last week. I, I, yeah, I, I went the other direction. So yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the optimist in me. Yeah, I guess I'm glass half empty. So so I think that wraps up the year pretty good in, in what was going on, Tone. All right. Well, then I'll talk about the year in music. I'll start with the usual segment on the number one albums from the year. So 
similar to our last show with, uh, what was that, 1998? It was. We had 29 different number one albums uh, during the year. The top seller for the year was Usher with Confessions, and he also had the most weeks at number one, uh, nine weeks over three separate stints. The longest run at number one was six weeks, uh, six consecutive weeks for Nora Jones with Feels Like Home, which was the follow-up to her monster debut, Come Away With Me. Other number ones of interest, you had big sellers with uh, Eminem's Encore and U2 and How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. Country is still super relevant, maybe even more so with the rise of patriotism, with the uh, war in Iraq and all that, and country music sort of co-opting the rights to be patriotic. Uh, So George Strait, Kenny Chesney, Alan Jackson, Tim McGraw, and Rascal Flatts all had number one albums. And I'm going to get to this when we talk about number one hits or the top singles of the year, but Ashley Simpson had a number one album with Autobiography, and that includes... Uh, a big hit called Pieces of Me, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And then finally, Green Day's American Idiot was number one for one week. Although it was only number one for one week, it has sold 12.5 million albums. And this too, I'm going to circle back to in our later discussion. All right. Fair enough. I, I, I definitely have more to say about both of those. So absolutely. I think that's mm-hmm. that sounds perfect. Uh, just a couple other notables that I would call out to. Um, so Kanye West, the college dropout, uh, was, was a great album uh you know say whatever you want about kanye and and i don't have anything good to say about kanye uh but the album is a great album the other three albums that i would mention from from 2004 franz ferdinand and that album has a very similar feel to the album that we're doing today hot fuss it's just the glaswegians uh with maybe a little less uh vegas polish to it and that, that Take Me Out song would almost fit perfectly on, on Hot Fuss. Um, and Gwen Stefani, you know, and, and uh, I remember that album vividly because my daughters all loved Hollaback Girl. The other one that I would mention is Daddy Yankee. And I have to say Daddy Yankee, that album Barrio Fino, because, Tone, do you know who used Gasolina as his walk-up music from Daddy Yankee? Well, we're talking about 04. You mentioned the Red Sox and the Yankees. I feel like it's got to be a Red Sox, so it's a hitter. It's got to be Big Poppy. No, no. Big Big Poppy used used uh, Biggie. Um, it was a Yankee. It was Jorge Posada used Gasolina as his walk-up music. Oh, all right. There you go. Is this going to be a recurring segment, walk-up music? Uh, uh, you know, you, you've opened the door, so I, <laughs> I figured I'd, I'd, keep, I'd keep it rolling. All right. Well, I'll continue with the top singles. And the number one song for the year was Yeah by Usher. And I have to tell you, it's been, I don't know, I guess 18 years since that came out or more. And I still hear Dan Schwartz in my head singing every single word to that song every time we'd play golf that year. And I'd look at him, I'd say, how do you know all the words to this stupid song? And he just had it. So, Danny, yeah, for you. Well, I mean, number two, that was a good album, though, Tone. I mean, it it is a a really crazy good hip hop album. It is off the charts raunchy hip hop, though. Like Usher is like all about crazy, sexy, smooth, cool, and it's like the kind of raunchy hip hop. Well, then uh, I guess I is that one that you're (laughs) going to try to make me uh, listen to? It's it is definitely an interesting album to listen to. Yes. All right. The number two song for the year was uh, Burn, also by Usher. Then we've got If I Ain't Got You by Alicia Keys and This Love by Maroon 5. Some other notables are The Reason by Hoobastank. I, that have was to, I, have, I have to stop you there because whenever that song comes on the radio, I sing every single stinking word of that song. This song is just an earworm, an absolute freaking earworm. Well, I think of something related but different. I think about the riff off in Pitch Perfect and the winning uh, acapella group won a microphone used by Hoobastank. <laughs> so that's my uh, that, that's what I think of. I try not to think of that song. It's it's pretty irritating. Number eight was Hey Ya by Outkast. Uh, the 19th uh, top song for the year was My Immortal by Evanescence. We've got White Flag by Dido at 36. And then we've got Pieces of Me by Ashley Simpson at 39. 
So I mentioned that earlier. It seemed like you had something to say. Uh, any thoughts on Ashley Simpson? Well, the Ashley Simpson, I remember watching that SNL episode when, when she uh, sang and, well, she didn't really sing, right? So it was a whole big, huge thing because she performed on SNL, uh, but it was, it was very clearly lip syncing. So do you want to hear her take on what happened? Sure. So she sang Pieces of Me, and she'd been sick, supposedly, earlier in the day. So they had what they call a guide vocal or a guide track just to sort of help her singing or, you know, sort of uh, add some uh, power to it, I guess. You can call it lip syncing, but if she's singing along to it and it's supposed to be sort of a backing track, that's one thing. And then what happened was, so she did Pieces of Me, and then she does the second song and it's supposed to be uh, something else. I can't remember what the other song was supposed to be, but they incorrectly queued up the backing track for pieces of me again. So she's out on stage getting ready to sing something else and pieces of me comes on again. So she kind of, you know, if you want to believe her version of it, which is a plausible story, that's kind of, you know, it's kind of a bad rap. It didn't really affect her because the album sold tons of copies. The album sold tons of copies. She got tons of tons of press over it. Like I, re- I was watching it. I remember watching mm-hmm. it. Like it was a train wreck. Yeah. And then the last song I'm going to mention, which I can't believe is only number forty-eight, is "Toxic" by Britney With Spears. With the taste of your lips, I'm on a ride. You're toxic. I'm slipping under. Taste of a poison paradise. <laughs> I'm addicted to you. Don't you know that you're toxic? And, you know, we're not doing this on video. So Bill actually is doing a whole dance routine, too. And it's kind of hot. But seriously, toxic. I'm surprised it's so low because, you know, Britney is Britney. And that might be like, besides One More Time, that might be her her song. Such a cool song. Such a cool song. So uh, those are the uh, top singles for the year. So why don't we talk about our personal histories with the killers and hot fuss? So I'll, I'll say that my personal history in 2004 with the killers and hot fuss was pretty much non-existent. I, you know, obviously when Mr. Brightside became popular, famous, played all the time, great song. I knew it when, when somebody told me was on the radio all the time, I, I knew it, but I didn't know the rest of the album and I didn't really know them very well. And that's changed over the past month because I went to see them in concert with Olivia. They were phenomenal. I've listened to this album. I've listened to most of their discography. I've listened to this album probably like 37 times. Absolutely love this album. But I don't know how I missed it. Like I don't, I I keep coming back to maybe a recurring theme of like, I feel like I was locked in on certain types of things and I didn't have... I didn't have my eyes open to things that I really enjoy now. So I, I'm really glad that we're doing this together and we're listening to all this different stuff. I love this album. So I'm kind of similar. I definitely wasn't tracking this at the time it came out, but I have a theory as to why. And it goes back to a little bit of what you were saying with the Franz Ferdinand of it all. They sound like the Strokes. They sound like Franz Ferdinand, which yep. came out yep. six months before this album came out. Very much so. Yep. Agreed. And because it's all, you know, you could make the argument fairly that it's a little derivative, you know, it just sort of blends into the background of, oh, I guess this is just what everybody sounds like now. It goes back to what we were talking about with Pearl Jam. I, I, I Yeah, mm-hmm. I, no, I agree. I think you're right. Exactly. So I think, I think that there's a little bit of that you know, where it just uh, gets lost in the noise. And of course, you know, you know the big songs, but as a band, you're just like, oh, great. They have these cool songs, but they're not anything special. They just happen to have a couple of good songs. And I think that plays out because uh, as I've listened to the rest of their catalog and they move away from that sound, which, you know, and and I think we're going to get to this uh, when we talk about the songs later, flat out, is stealing from the strokes whether subconsciously or consciously the whole album is a very derivative work of a lot of artists Uh, it it, Mm -hmm. it, it is yeah so i think that later on like the later songs brandon flowers sings great he's got a 
beautiful voice, but you don't even hear it on this album. You know, you hear a great rock vocals, but you don't hear a beautiful voice. So I think that that's why, you know, they kind of got lost in the in the mix for me. But as far as how I came to them, it really what happened was it was maybe around September or so of 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 2021 and artists were just starting to tour again. And somehow or another, I guess in one of my like, you know, emails or whatever, I got this alert that the killers were playing a show at, at I think it was a Fra- I think it's Franklin Music Hall. But it's one of those Philly venues. It's general admission, like 2,500 people, you know. And this is, even though I didn't know them, I knew that they were an arena-filling act. You know, they were a, a festival headlining act. And I said, well, geez, I'll go see the kill. I mean, I'll go see them do Mr. Brightside in a in a small room, you know. So I just got them on a whim. Hadn't really, didn't know any of their songs and uh, caught up with them and started listening and said, oh, gosh, you know what? They're really good. And then the show just blew my doors off. It was just me and our buddy Bert. And we're in this tiny room seeing this enormous band. It was just a great night. Okay, so that takes us to the next segment, which is the basic album information. So we have the band, which consists of Brandon Flowers on vocals and synthesizer, Dave Kooning on guitar, Mark Stormer on bass, Ronnie Venucci on drums, and the album was produced by Jeff Saltzman and the band. And all but one of the tracks uh, for the album was recorded with Jeff Saltzman in Berkeley, California uh, throughout 2003. All right. So what can you tell us about the album art? So the album art um, is just a very basic picture of buildings. And and you've got these Chinese characters on top of the buildings. And the characters basically translate to construction material development. And at the very top, you've got Hot Fuss in, in bold print. And that's the album. I have no idea what that's all about. I right? don't either. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, but I, I can't read too much into it. All right, so why don't you tell us about the artist's background and the lead-up to Hot Fuss? All right. So Brandon Flowers was born in Vegas, and he kind of shifted between Utah and Vegas during his early life. Um, his his musical influences were really a lot of UK artists, the Smiths, Oasis, U2, uh, the Beatles. Um, and he was always somebody who was working hard as a, a young guy. He really was trying to hustle and you know, work different jobs and whatnot. And he, he worked at a golf club and he, he worked scrubbing clubs. He was always around golf. His, his family was, were golfers. He was always around golf clubs. And he met this guy named Trevor at the first golf club that he worked at. And Trevor kind of had him start dreaming a little bit because Trevor had these big dreams of being a, a, a movie guy and a, and a band guy. And, and it kind of got Brandon Flowers thinking, hey, you know what? If this guy can think about it, maybe I can do something. So it kind of got it into his mind. So the stories of the killers themselves as a band started in really 2001 in, in Vegas. And Brandon Flowers decided he was going to try to start that band. And he started looking for people and he was looking for people any way he could. He was looking at classified ads. He was looking at bumper stickers on cars and stopping people on the street and saying, Hey, do you play an instrument? Like he was really looking for, for a, a group to surround himself with to really become a band. And eventually he finds this, Musicians Wanted ad in one of the local Vegas weekly free magazines. And it's from a a guitarist, Dave Koenig, who is hoping to also launch his own project. And what stands out to to Brandon Flowers is the fact that he lists his influences were the Beatles and Smashing Pumpkins and Oasis. And and Brandon Flowers is like, you know, that sounds like a match for me. So why not? I'll give it a shot. So he reaches out, they get connected, and they hit it off fairly well. And almost immediately, they start collaborating. So they start writing music together. And fairly early on, they're writing Mr. Brightside. Like they're basically, you know, weeks into knowing each other, and they're writing Mr. Brightside. And they're starting to do gigs. And one of the early gigs that they did was right across the street from UNLV, this open mic night at a coffee house. They played three songs. They played a, the, the, like infant version of Mr. Brightside, which actually I think you can you can find on YouTube. And if if I can, I'll I'll share it to our our social media accounts. Um, and it's amazing the fact that these guys just got together and they've got this song that becomes this just ginormous song, and it came together just so quickly between the two of them. 
So what's that remind you of? It reminds me of Pearl Pearl Jam Jam. Alive. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, you know when you when you connect and like it just hits, it hits right. So so very similar vibe to that. And basically, you know, Flowers really felt like the first show went terribly. He's like, I I was awful. I felt like I was going to throw up on stage, and he didn't think he was good enough to be a lead singer. But they kind of stuck with it, obviously, and they kept doing gigs, and they were really looking for a drummer and a bass player, and. Part of the problem for them was the sound that they were going after was very different than the sound that was going on in Vegas at that time. It was very much new metal and emo rock and you know bands like Alien Ant Farm and the Deftones uh, and Limp Bizkit. And they were getting kind of mixed reviews, results from gigs that they were doing. So eventually they connect with Matt Stormer and Ronnie Venucci and they became a lineup in 2002. And they kept doing shows. And, and at some point in 2003, after doing a bunch of local shows, they got invited to a showcase for Warner Brothers. And they were hoping they're going to get signed, and they don't get signed. But their demo tape makes it to an indie label. Uh, and this indie label, Lizard King Records, gives them the opportunity to record. And they actually take that opportunity to record Hot Bus on Lizard King Records. And that's actually one of the reasons why they're so big in the UK as it was, you know, a little indie UK label that gave him a shot. And that makes you wonder, you know, between their Oasis and other British uh, acts as influences and then recording for a British label. And I think they actually toured extensively in the UK before even releasing the album. And I just wonder if that contributed to the sound, sounding the way it does. I think it has to. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it very much sounds like a British band. That album sounds like a British band. Like it sounds like a British band right from that like time period. Well, you know, as we talk about them sounding like a British band, you know, I was also previously saying that they sound just like the strokes I, as well. Agreed. M- musically. I'm, I'm saying like kind of the vo- the vocals for me sound more like the vocals of the British band, but I think, you know, musicality of it, sounds a lot more like The Strokes. So I think that I actually hear The Strokes in the vocals too, not just the music. And I think that that sound is, whether it's intentional or subconscious, it stems from the use of some vocal software, voice modulation software called Echo Farm. And they used it throughout the album. And it produces a result similar to what Julian uh, Casablancas does on the strokes with Is This It, where um, his uh, mic is going into an amp, and that's what creates that effect on Is This It. And I think it has a similar effect that we see here. So I agree with you on the on the vocal effects that they use, but the tone of the vocals, I don't. So I think Casablancas' vocals are a lot more modulated than... than uh, Brandon Flowers are on Hot Fuss. Brandon Flowers' vocals on Hot Fuss for me sound a lot more like Liam Gallagher on, you know, on, on from Oasis. A lot more. And those were the two names I wrote down: was Liam and uh, uh, Julian. And what really makes me think that though that the that Strokes influence really is there because in an interview in 2012, Flowers said that you know they did a bunch of songs, they demo uh, had a bunch of demos on songs, and then is this it came out. And they said, oh, crap, they're doing what we are trying to do, but so much better. And they tossed everything except Mr. Brightside. I'm glad they didn't toss it. All right. So I guess that was kind of uh, leading us into something you might not know. So that would would have been one of my first uh, nuggets. So I'll give you another one. There's a group called the Sweet Inspirations, and they're like a gospel group. And they sing background on all these things that I've done and Andy, you're a star. And the way they came across them was they were performing at South by Southwest again before the album came out. But I guess they were really making the rounds and there was getting they were getting some buzz. And they're at South by and they, you know, meet the sweet inspirations and they say, Hey, do you want to come and sing with us? So backstage, they learn both uh, all these things that I've done. They learn it backstage. They come out and they perform it with them. And then like, you know, that week or something like that, they go into the studio and record it. And that's how uh, you've got uh, the Sweet Inspirations who've sung, who've also performed with Elvis, Van Morrison, the Bee Gees and Jimi Hendrix. So that's that's some pretty good company. That is crazy. Yeah. And then my last nugget is going to be, you know, staying on all these things that I've done. 
is the origin of that song. Do you know the history or how it came about? I, I know a little bit of, of, you know, it's tied to Brandon Flowers' you know, religious piece, but uh, I know a little bit of it, yeah. Yeah, that's a little bit, but really the main inspiration was uh, Matt Pinfield. And you might remember Pinfield, besides being uh, from MTV, he's actually from our, you know, from our hometown radio station. I do, yeah. Yeah, 106.3. And uh, I'm going to give shouts out to the Jones family, even though I know they don't listen. We just hung out with Eddie last night and he says he doesn't even know how to listen to a podcast. So we know Eddie's not going to be uh, tuning in. And and his wife, Erin, used to work at 106.3. So Erin, if you happen to tune in, shouts to 106.3 and you. So yeah, so uh, Pinfield was the inspiration for all these things that I've done. Uh, he was working for a record company at the time and he was uh, trying to sign them. And he goes out to Vegas. He's hanging out with them, really getting a good rapport with the band. And uh, after a night of listening to music, they just decided to go out and hit the bars. And they were really bonding. They were telling stories about uh, their lives. And Pinfield was talking about how he had done extensive work with uh, soldiers. And he claims that he used the phrase, I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier. And that inspired the, the chorus for this song and and that night Brandon went home wrote the song and and that's what we have today has has I'm curious has Brandon Flowers corroborated that he uh he said that I didn't find that in my research but that is exactly why I couched it the way I did <laughs> but, but I'll tell you Pinfield titled a, a an autobiography all these things that I've done so he's he's definitely he's, running he's with all it. in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's interesting. I did not know that one. I, I yeah, yeah, I know I know the whole tie-in with his Mormon faith and whatnot, but I I didn't I did not know the Pinfield tie-in. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. So what do you got? All right, I got I got uh two good ones and maybe a couple little stragglers if there is uh interest. All right, so first let, let's start with the, the band name itself, the killers. Um Tone, do you know how they came up with the band name The Killers? No idea. All right. So yeah, obviously, again, big music fans, music inspiration. So in 2001, the band New Order released a song, Love New Order. Crystal, released a song, Crystal. The music video for Crystal is a group of teenagers lip syncing the New Order song, Crystal. And the, the drum kit for the band, this fictional band, indicates that this fictional band is the Killers. Ah. So they basically took that moniker on uh, th this fictional band that New Order put out. You know, I, I find it's interesting that the, the killers actually almost wound up calling themselves the genius sex poets. And if you're an eager eyed fan, mm -hmm. you may have noticed that in the video for Mr. Brightside, the band, the drum, same thing, the drum kit, mm -hmm. the genius sex poets. Oh, nice. So kind of tying it back to the origin of yeah. their band name. Exactly. And then I, I just thought that was know, really cool. Yeah. Almost like encouraging another band out there. Exactly. To Somebody else can pass, you know, pass, pass it on. Exactly. So it's, oh, it's, I love it. It's kind of cool. You know, so I didn't know, uh, I should have, because it's, it's actually kind of obvious now that you say it, but, uh, and, and we'll talk about this when we talk about the tracks, but new order is a really good comp. I was trying to percent new order is a great comp who them. they reminded me of. Right. Yeah. And New Order is spot on. Because they all of the synth stuff is like completely New Order. Completely. Exactly. That's what was bugging me. Like as I'm, I've listened to this album, you know, 30 times and I'm saying that synth is just, there's something about it that I couldn't yep. place and it's it's New Order. Yep. No. So there, there's your tie-in. I, I got one more really good one. I got another trilogy for us, Tone. So Remember how we talked about the Mama Son trilogy in the Pearl Jam episode? Well, in this mm -hmm. in this episode, we're going to talk about the Murder trilogy. All right. So when they were writing the songs for Hot Fuss, they intended on having a three song arc of murder in their album, and two of the songs made it to the album, but one did not. So the intended arc of songs started with "Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf," and this song actually didn't make it to Hot Fuss. It was released on Sawdust, which I believe was their third album. And it's about a couple and breaking up. And in the lyrics, they talk about Jenny. Jennifer, tell me where I stand and who's that other boy holding your hand, right? So it's the story of a boy and a girl, story of, of, of the boy who loves Jenny. And he's already starting to feel like something else is going on here. 
and they're breaking up. The second song in the trilogy is Midnight Show. He finds out she met someone else and it is eating him up. So the narrator promises to take Jenny to a midnight show in his car and it doesn't bode well for Jenny. It looks like she's, mm-hmm. she, she's you know not going to end up very well. And Jenny is a friend of mine, ends that trilogy, and it does not end well for Jenny because Jenny is a friend of mine is really told from the murderer's point of view. And it's really kind of telling the story of the alibi and what happened and, oh. and whatnot. So you've got this three song arc that is really cool. And it would have been really cool if it made it onto the album, but it, it didn't. They've only done it in concert in that order twice, and they haven't done it since 2007. They did it in 2007 twice, and they have not done it since in concert in order. But they they intended on actually making that into a little short film. They actually had mm-hmm. like casting ideas for it. Brandon Flowers has said he whenever he sees it, he sees James Spader in his head as as the guy, and he's he's got like a whole like they. They were thinking Paris Hilton. They, I mean, they like because 2004, Paris Hilton was big. Mm-hmm. So like they had a whole casting in mind and they wound up getting famous and didn't do anything with the movie. I would argue now's the time to make the movie. I think it would be great. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. So maybe that's a good pivot to the tracks. Absolutely. Because the first track on this album is Jenny Was a Friend of Mine. And, and I didn't know that. I knew of the existence of the Mur- murder trilogy, but I didn't know uh, any of the uh, backstory. And with that in mind, and then them going to instead make that the leadoff track, that's kind of strange, right? You know, it, it, it is, you know, and, and you've got it in just this odd order. You've got the end of the trilogy as the lead to the mm-hmm. the album. So it's and, and the, the lead didn't even make it to the album. So but as far as the song goes, in my first listens of this album, I was struggling with, you know, this is a good song, but. You've got one all-timer and three really, really awesome anthems, and you don't lead off with one of those on a debut album. You would think that, you know, new band, debut album, you know, start with Somebody Told Me or something else. But they start with Jenny Was a Friend of Mine. I guess maybe that speaks to the confidence that they had in in, in the material. I, I think so. But, you know, it's it's also interesting. For me, the song's interesting. It start, you get the, the, the radio waves and the helicopter mm-hmm. – uh, you know, and then strong guitar intro. It's a really interesting intro. Like it's it's similar to the, you know, sounding like it's a radio in the background. You know, we've talked about that a few times now. So it's kind of got mm-hmm. a, a, a cool vibe to it. And it's just a great rock song. I mean, I I, I agree. There's some all timers on this, on this album, but I really like this song. It's a great, it, I think it's a good starting point. It's interesting that it's the end of the trilogy, but I, I actually like it as a, a lead off to the album. Yeah, and, and some of the things I like about the song, you know, we, we talked about you talked about the uh, static opening, and and that again harkens back to you know, Pearl Jam and the opening of Ten goes back to the foos and color and the shape, uh, not the exact same thing, but just sort of that easing you in and then um, getting into it. And what I like about the song too is, you know, you mentioned uh, the, the guitar, but I actually like the uh, the marching drums the, the, the repetitive repetitive drum chorus i have that exact very cool repetitive drum bit for the chorus i wrote exactly yeah. that <laughs> yeah so th- that's actually you know that and and there's the, the cool bass to to start you know so you had that cool bass to start and then yeah. that uh, marching drums in the chorus and and those are the, my favorite parts of that song the other thing that i think is really cool is this part towards the end-ish of the song middle-ish of the song where he screams the line i just can't take this I swear I told you the truth. Like he, he screams, I just can't take this. And then mm-hmm. I swear I told you the truth. Like it's, it's yep. just a very cool dynamic of like, he's, he's and clearly it makes like, sense yeah. in the trilogy. When you, when you listen to it with the trilogy in mind, then it makes sense. Absolutely. So I, I, I really, I love the song. So next is Mr. Brightside. You know, on our last show, we talked about Everlong being one of those songs that'll be around forever. This song is absolutely going to be around forever. The, the the other thing that I get with a few of the songs on this album, and it, you know, I, we've talked about it a couple times, is listening to it with either really good speakers or a really good headset because of the stereo effects that they do on some of the some of the some of the mm-hmm. albums. It's just so damn cool when you listen to it with great speakers or a really good headset where you get like it's re- it's starting on one side and it's layering it on the other and the way the way that they layer the the sounds together that opening is so damn cool. 
So we're talking about how this song is going to be around forever. I'm a, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was, it is, it it has been around forever. So actually like you're, you're opening up exactly going back to the charts that we talked about. So you talked about the the album charts. Let's talk for a second tone about the, about the song charts. Do you know that Mr. Brightside is still on the UK song chart? It has been on the UK song chart. It, it, it didn't chart great when it's, when it album first came out. But for the last six years and five months, it's been on the top 100 UK Billboard chart still to this day. That's crazy. Back in the day when, you know, Dark Side of the Moon was on the album chart, that was one thing. But for a single song to be in the top 100. The longest charting song in UK chart history over 330 weeks. That's crazy. Well, then that uh, even makes it more odd what i experienced on the Rutgers sports message board <laughs> so earlier this uh this year Rutgers played at boston college and a bunch of the people on the message board you know they were saying about the environment at the game and they were saying and this song came on and and i didn't know what it was but everyone in the stadium seemed to know what it was and then the entire message board almost the entire message board was saying I've never heard of them. I've never heard of that song. What is that song? And then finally me and this other person were just like, where the hell have you people been? How old are you? They, they have to be like a hundred years old. There's like, because like, there's no way if you've, if you're any kind of anywhere in the past 20 years that you have not heard that song. Yeah. So it's a perfect rock song. And you know, you might have forgotten, but we actually talked about this song on our second episode, season one, episode two, Hunky Dory, David Bowie. Do you remember? Oh, I remember it well. So I'll just refresh the audience then in, in case you didn't hear it. But we talked about the parallels of uh, this song and particularly uh, a particular stanza on this song and a song called Queen Bitch by uh, David Bowie. Do you mind if I uh, play it here? Absolutely. So that was Mr. Brightside. And then let's check out Mr. Bowie. So both just musically, it's very similar, but even lyrically, you know, you had the cab imagery, you've got the stomach imagery. It's a sonic ripoff. It's a lyric ripoff. It is like, yeah. It's a tremendous song, tremendous song, but yeah. All right. So that takes us to track three, Smile Like You Mean It. So you get the synth in guitar open. That's the, you know, you get the new order. It it is a very 80s synth pop like feel to to that, to that song. It's, it's a cool song. Um, And you get, you get the really cool guitar riff, but you've all along, you've got that very even keel vocal. Like his, his vocals are so even toned the whole album. So you talked about the guitar. And for me, when I listen to this, I listen to the guitar solo and I flat out hear the edge. I feel like it's, this could have been the edge playing this guitar solo. You're not wrong at all. Like it, like he's Brandon flowers has talked so much about what he was listening to when they were doing and writing this album. He was listening to Joshua tree and all that you can't leave behind. So he had you two in his head. Mm. That's one of their influences as well. Well, it wasn't just Brandon because uh, I don't think he was playing that guitar solo. But no, it definitely. No, but it's edge. but it, it definitely knits knits together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I have in my notes is that this vocal it sounds like if Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day was pretending to be British, he would sing "Smile Like You Mean It." <laughs> Well, I, I, I do think that uh, Brandon Flowers is, sounds like he's trying to be British the yeah. whole album, yes. Absolutely. So anything else? Uh, not on that one, though. No. All right. So Somebody Told Me, track four. What do you got? Just, just a banger. Uh, like, just a phenomenal rock song. Uh, you know, awesome guitar, synth, drum open. Like, the that open is, as, you know, th- those, those two songs, Bright Side and Somebody Told Me, are just all-time great songs. Like they're just phenomenal songs. And and the danger with both of them is you you hear them still so much. I mean, going back to the you know 
UK charts charting of Mr. Brightside still, right? Those songs are so present today. There's the danger of just being having had enough and no, haven't had enough. Nope. It's still good. Not not at all. But but again, going back to the Glaswegians, uh, Franz Ferdinand, mm-hmm. I, you know, I definitely get to take me out with somebody told me. I, th- those two are like like yeah, they're siblings. Pair, those songs. Basically, yeah. Yeah, completely. Uh, so what I like uh, about the song, besides it being a perfect rock song, is um, I think that that opening is cool. That, that Those first 20 seconds are awesome. And then throughout the rest of the song, there's just this propulsive guitar. And as I was kind of focusing on that, you know, closing my eyes and focusing on that, I was starting to hear, I could imagine a metal take on this song. You know, with the way that guitar works, I could imagine, you know, I don't know, Metallica or something playing this song. That's interesting. So when I when I listened to it again, like right before we recorded tonight, one of the, one of my takeaways was, you know, that chorus has got such a great rock and roll edge to it. Like it, it's got so many different components. Like it, it really mm-hmm. just knits together so well. It's very cool. Yeah. And my last uh, shout out uh, will come on this one. So today I was picking up right before we recorded, I was picking up the kids. Uh, from youth group at, at our church and uh, I had my killer shirt on and the youth group director said, Oh, I just saw the killers, you know, last week in, in Madison. I uh, know in uh, at Wells Fargo in Philadelphia. So we're talking about the show and Ellie's saying, Oh, the killers. I like that song. Somebody told me. So uh, somebody told me is Ellie's favorite track uh, from the killers. There you go. Now track five, all these things that I've done. I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier. The opening with the repeating single piano ping is just so, mm-hmm. it's such a cool way to bring you into the song. Yeah, I love that opening. And I feel like that opening verse, and maybe I'm just a sucker for musicals, but I feel like that opening verse and then the rest of the song could be the finale of a musical. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's an so an- anthemic right? theatrical song. Yeah. I was reading a little bit about um, when they were writing the song, and, and Brandon Flowers was working as a bellman in a hotel. And technology was not quite as advanced as it is today, so he didn't have at his disposal easy ways to like leave himself snippets of, of things. So he would leave mm-hmm. messages on his friends' voicemails with like little song ideas and little clips of of, of the oh, song. Wow. And, and and like this song actually was knit together on a few different voicemails uh, pieces of it, was which is pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, the other thing for me on this one is the chorus. Uh, if you really listen to him singing in the chorus, it's Lou Reed. Like he, that is him basically doing his Lou Reed in the chorus. Like it, it is like exactly Lou Reed. And boy, they they really aren't uh, afraid to take advantage of their success to work with their their idols because I think that they collaborated with Lou Reed uh, a few years later, right? Yep, absolutely. the The other thing, going back to the Bowie of it. Our uh, our lead singer here, Mr. Flowers, his favorite lyric from this song, he said in, in multiple interviews, these changes ain't changing me. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, changes, these changes ain't changing uh-huh. me. Very cool. And I think uh, you were mentioning uh, his struggle with his faith, right? And I think that that line in particular speaks to that. Very, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So track number six, Andy, you're a star. I love the sharp cool guitar riff opening it's just a bam 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 mm-hmm. bam so cool it's just a amazing open what i've really grown to like about this album is they do and you've touched on it a couple of times is even though there's they have a base of of the sound they do have components of other things that they put in and into different songs to sort of mix it up a little bit they do. And and they while they're borrowing shamelessly, they're borrowing shamelessly from all over the place. So it's just bringing this mesh of things together. The, the other thing that I, I really think, and going back to your, your comment about the strokes, I think where, where the killers distinguish themselves is I feel like their guitar and their music just sounds brassier and, and more neon than the strokes like so they sound vegas like they sound mm-hmm. like vegas yeah. and, and 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 that's that's really where they distinguish themselves yeah so you know the strokes are sounding new york clubby gritty and, clubby yeah. new york yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah uh, so andy you're a star one thing that you know the, the song is kind of weird you know it's about a high school athlete that flowers had a fixation on and and he was like kind of idolizing this guy 
Um, so that's kind of creepy, I suppose. You're a star in nobody's eyes but mine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, gosh, that line is, is so bizarre. But you know, we we're talking about the vocal, uh, you know, the modulation or whatever. And and this song, you actually really can hear Brandon singing. It's one of the songs where his voice really comes through his real singing voice. I think. I think. I think. I think it's great. I think it's probably the the one track on the album where he isn't as monotone. I, I would I would agree with that. Like he actually shows some range on this because I think he's playing a part in most of the other songs. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And speaking of playing a part I, in my notes here, and maybe I just kind of got it stuck in my head, but I felt like this too kind of could have been in a in a musical where you know you're getting introduced to either the character Andy or the the stalker it, it, character it, in the show. And- it's so it's so funny that you know this album isn't a concept album, but it very easily could have been. Like they really, mm-hmm. if with just a couple of little more ties, this completely could have been a concept album. Like if the if the if the murder trilogy actually made it onto the album, if they did a couple of other little things, just mm-hmm. not the connective tissue isn't quite there. So hadn't thought of it, but now that you're saying it, um, so imagine Andy is the guy talking to Jenny, and you know the well, the, the character singing this song, you know, ends up being the murderer. Completely great. Well, and then let me add one more on top of it. All these things that I've done. Okay, so mm-hmm. when when they did the the the, tr- the murder trilogy in concert those two times, they followed it up with all these things that uh, I've done, which is like a perfect follow up song. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so <laughs> we're gonna really beat this horse because I've got more <laughs> notes on this <laughs> for later. Um, all right, so track seven on top. I'll start. So here's what I, the only note I have here, and this is again, you know, um, these uh, notes, you know, we didn't collaborate on these was early 80s synth. I've got 80s type songs synth. Exactly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And it completely comes because there's, you know, a ton of synth throughout the album, but this particular song, the synth is different as far as this, the, the, the style. It's definitely 80s sim it is but they mixed it in with a freaking tambourine like it's just like the way that they layer things it's very interesting like Mm -hmm. like who who does a a synth tambourine opening like like that's just yeah it's it's unique so so the the rest of the song is just you know it's a solid song but uh it, it really what stuck out to me was was the synthesizer yep no i i i like the i like how it builds and you know it becomes you know solid it's a solid song i agree Track eight, change your mind. Another one of those alternating speakers, stereo openings, which is so cool. Like when artists do that well, and you've got a really good, you know, speaker system or headset, it's so cool to listen to. So you get that, and then you get the guitar and drums come in, and the keyboard and vocals. It builds the pace a bit, and then you get the chorus, and then back to the main riff. It's 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 a good song. It's really cool. This actually, this riff might be my favorite riff on this album. It's not the best song, although it's a great song. I love, actually love this song, but it's not. It, it is the an best awesome song. riff. Yeah. But that, that riff is, yeah. is really, really cool. Uh, the other thing I noted here was that I, another song where I got major Billy Joe Armstrong vibes. Right. I would agree. Yeah. Okay. So track nine, Believe Me, Natalie. Now, I, I was. I just kind of assumed that this was part of the murder trilogy. It's not. This is their homage to dis- the last days of disco and kind of it kind of ending with the AIDS epidemic and whatnot. So th- this is just a completely separate vibe. But you get the synth, you know, opening, outer spacey feeling. And the, the thing for me that stands out in this song is the synth going into almost the tribal drums and, the, and then kind of the disco-y mm-hmm. feel. It's a, re- it's a cool song. Well, I'll give you a preview and tell you that it's probably my least favorite song on the album. So um, I kind of skip it now that I've heard it enough. Interesting. But uh, so now we get to track 10, Midnight Show. Now, this is part of the trilogy. Right? This is part of the trilogy. And it's the, you know, the song that is the second in the trilogy. And it's the tail end of the album after the, you know, if you start with the end of the trilogy, um, you get the rock open with everybody jumping in right off the bat it's not like one instrument it's not one one note it's just basically you know there's a a little you know a little slight noise and then boom the whole band comes in and it's a driving beat drive faster boy and it's it's just an awesome rock song Uh, so i like i like this song too and this is my favorite bass 
uh, on the album. I think the bass line on this really I, I, stands I, out. I agree. The bass line on the song is great. So now we get to what was the last track on the original U.S. release, track 11, Everything Will Be All Right. So different pace to end things. You know, it was a steady beat, much slower though, and, and kind of a melancholy tone. So this is, and again, you know, we didn't collaborate on, on our notes here, but to me, this would have been a great ending to the murder trilogy. Maybe not as good as all, all these things that I've done, but I just thought that I had that theatricality of this album in mind. And I was thinking, you know what? They're kind of ending, you know, this story with um, this song. So, so I, I would have actually, so now that you're saying that I, I hadn't connected it to the murder trilogy, but now that you're saying that I, I will jump in and say, I actually probably would have done it as the second song. Like I would have expanded the trilogy, done it as the second mm-hmm. song at right. You know, after the, they're starting, they're breaking up. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to be all right. You know, uh, you know, th- so I think you could have like built it and then yeah. no, it's not going to be okay. <laughs> like, so I think you yeah. could have like really built a story. It could have completely been a, a concept album around that whole premise. I think you're right. Yeah. So maybe we should just, uh, uh, pitch them, you know, send them a pitch. I, on I think, the, we, you know what? I think we should make movie. a mixtape and send it to Brandon Flowers and say, <laughs> you, you should reissue a concept album, album, hot fuss with, with it reordered this way and bringing in, uh, you know, the, the other song from, from the murder trilogy. Oh, I just got Brandon's response. He said, do you think I haven't thought about this in the last 18 years? You dummies. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for the tip guys. Hey, thanks guys. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go back and hang out with Bruce. Uh, thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, so the other things I uh, had, this one was the heaviest on that whole echo farm distortion. A hundred percent. Yeah. Bit. And now I think we, so we talked earlier, we decided that we'd include the 12th track, which was on the vinyl release. That wasn't part of the initial release. It, it was, it was the bonus track on the, on the vinyl release. Um, and it's a really cool bonus track. I mean, it's a great song and it, I think it summarizes what the killers did with this album. It's, it's glamorous indie rock and roll. Like it's exactly what this album is. So did you, uh, read anything about this song? Not, not a lot. No. Cause I was, I didn't prep for it because we, we, you know, until we started doing the episode, I, I didn't think we were going to talk about it much. Yeah. So I, I didn't jot these notes because I didn't think we were talking about it either. But uh, what I do remember in just um, some of my research and once I tell you this and you go back to listen, you will not be able to not hear it. They were modeling intentionally modeling Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, yeah. And no, there's I, multiple I... musical parts and lyrical parts that, oh, it's it's right there. It's totally Bohemian. All right. Now I'm going to, I'll re-listen to it after, after we record. So, yeah. All right. Well, that track review was a lot of fun, Bill. I think we're getting to the end of the show. What's our next segment? All right, Tone. You know, it's your favorite. It's my favorite. It's our song draft. And for our new listeners and for a refresher for our regular listeners, our song draft is when Tony and I take turns. One of us goes first, the other goes second, and we just alternate picks and we create a little roster, a team of songs. Tony picks half the songs from the album. I pick half the songs from the album and we put our teams up against each other. Tony thinks he's going to pick the best team. I think I'm going to pick the best team. And we put it out on our social media feed and on the show notes we put a link to a, a google form where we ask our listeners to vote and tell us who do you think picked the best roster of songs and at the end of the season we're going to do a, a recap of who did best on each of the episodes sounds good so who goes first this week so i, I i'm sorry to say you go first because i really would have wanted to go first on this album i i, I was yeah you know I was so happy I got to go first on the foos. And then I'm like, damn, I don't get to go first on the killers. So you get to go first, Tone. Go ahead. Give it to me. This wasn't intentional. but And, you know, of course, I wanted to go first last week, too. But this one, I think I'd rather go first on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go Mr. Brightside. Yeah. Somebody told me. All these things that I've done, which is actually my favorite song on this album. But I couldn't. It's my favorite song on the album as well. I couldn't pick it over Somebody Told Me, though. And I couldn't pick it over Mr. Brightside. So if you picked, it, it, basically, I, we had to pick the songs we picked. Um, yeah. But that's why I wanted to go first. Not because of the other two songs, because of that song. 
Exactly. Me too. Yep. So you're up. Um, now, I know technically what the right pick is here, but I know what my favorite pick is here. So I'm going to pick Jenny was a friend of mine. That would have been my next one if I didn't get the one that I'm going to take. So you are taking Jenny. I'm going to take Change Your Mind. And then I would have taken Jenny uh, next if Got it was up back to me. All right. So I'm going to take Smile Like You Mean It. Not me too. And now I'm going to take Indie Rock and Roll. Nice pick. Um, I'm going to take Andy, You're a Star. So I mentioned in the last show that what I do is when I do my first, you know, maybe first couple of listens, I do an initial ranking of the songs. And then as I keep uh, listening, you know, I do my final. My first pass, Andy was was the last one. And then the more I listened to it, it had definitely climbed up in uh, in my uh, estimation. So you went Andy. I'm going to go on top. I'm going to go Midnight Show. Mm, that's what I wanted. And since I already told you, Believe Me, Natalie is my least favorite, I'm going to say take Everything Will Be All Right. And I almost picked Believe Me, Natalie instead of Midnight Show, but you told me that you didn't mm-hmm. like it, so I saved it for last. Brilliant. All right, so to recap, I went first, and my songs were Mr. Brightside, All These Things That I've Done, Change Your Mind, Indie Rock and Roll, On Top, and Everything Will Be All Right. And I went second, and my songs were Somebody Told Me, Jenny Was a Friend of Mine, Smile Like You Mean It, Andy, You're a Star, Midnight Show, and Believe Me, Natalie. Well, I have to tell you, I am really pleased with my uh, lineup here. I think I've got a good shot of pulling a victory out. So I'm I'm surprisingly happy, even though I didn't get all these things that I've done, um, which I agree with you is my favorite song on the album as well. So, All right. So any final thoughts? I think where I landed is I really enjoy the Killers music. Um, I think for all the reasons we talked about before, they just didn't hit my radar. I think, I think Tone, what you said was spot on. I think it, I probably had a similar type bias to some of the Pearl Jam bias that I had, um, mm-hmm. where they, they, they were kind of sound alike to some other people, and I didn't give them a chance beyond the few hits that I knew. And Yeah, when you're out at the bar or yeah, you know, oh, whatever, I love and you heard the songs. Oh, yeah, these yeah, are great songs. Great songs, yeah. But I didn't give them a chance beyond the hits that I knew, and I should have. And I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't. They're a phenomenal band. They were amazing live. Uh, that, that show at Wells Fargo was phenomenal. And, and um, Johnny Marr from the Smiths opened up and he was phenomenal. Uh, just a little aside on that, Livy cracks me up because her favorite part of the show was Johnny Marr. It was like the third song in his opening set. And he, he, he ends the song and he turns to the guys and he goes, nice one. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> such a British thing to say. And I'm like... He's British. <laughs> what do you want from him? But um, anyway, I, I absolutely love this album. And more to the point, I love the killers and what they've done over the, the whole discography, where they've gone from this album and the, the discography that they've put together, that they've built on from, from there mm-hmm. is just tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Um, this is an all-time great album in my mind. And what they've done subsequent to that has really, for me, cemented them as one of my favorite artists. I think that they have to overcome the bias that we had as well. Have people look past the fact that they do sound alike for the time, but really there's a lot more depth and interesting music going on in this album. And then, of course, the way they evolved from here is is just fantastic. And I know I mentioned it earlier, but Really, Brandon Flowers can sing, and you just don't get that on this album at all. Well, and he's phenomenal live. Absolutely yeah. phenomenal live. So the last segment, I guess, is the uh, ranking on your personal chart, Bill. So where does this land? So, so Tone, um, this cracks my top 100. Uh, this lands just below the color and the shape, a few few notches below at number 98 on my list of all time. And I, th- the last thing I would say is, I've been listening to a lot of Brandon Flowers interviews, and one of the ones I listened to in a, in a podcast, he was asked to sum up the killers in one word, and he, he like paused and you know like silence for five seconds, and then you just hear him say neon, and <laughs> and it's it's right. So 
you're just in, embracing that uh, their Vegas roots and their their kind of iconic logo, right? With the uh, the uh, the show uh, yep. billboard light bulbs, yep. uh, the killers. All right, well that takes us to the end of the show, I guess, right? It does. So Tone, bring us home. Okay, well thank you for listening to another episode of Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure. Our next episode is going to be Steve Miller's greatest hits. <laughs> Have you heard them? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, that's uh, uh, our our buddy John in in Fort Worth. That's for you. Um, you're going to have to make a contribution to our Patreon if you want to hear a show on Steve Miller. Uh, but our next album is going to be All Things Must Pass by George this is Harrison. A story about Billy Joe and Bobby Sue. <laughs> Uh, well, well, on Steve Miller, the kids have decided that Colleen's favorite song is Fly Like an Eagle. <laughs> There's no truth to it at all, but every time it comes on, oh, hey, mommy, it's your favorite song. I'm sure that like needles her really. Oh, yeah. Well, don't worry. Mine is Don't Stop Believing. So uh, they're, they're getting us both. All right. Anyway, so thanks for listening, everyone. And and next week we're doing. Already said it. Oh, did you? All right. Yeah. yeah. Next week. We, next week we're doing an, another episode. All right. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. <laughs>